Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? What a nice and wild Sunday it was to wrap up. I mean, Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something bold here. This may have been a top five sports weekend of anything I can remember. This has been from start to finish one of the wildest, craziest, best sports weekends through and through that I can recall. Get it out of the way real quick. Congrats, Messi. Nice World Cup. No, I'm just kidding. We're a Bills podcast here, <laughs> but just um, what a weekend of sports. And um, I'm excited to talk about something that was more on the front end of the weekend, that Bills-Dolphins game. But what a weekend. What a weekend. That Bills-Dolphins game, indeed. The Bills improved to 11-3 and with a 32-29 to victory over the Miami Dolphins and clinch a playoff spot. This is the fifth trip to the playoffs in Sean McDermott's six years as Buffalo Bills head coach. And Luca, this game was just beautiful. There was so much there. I think even if you're a, not a fan of the Bills and the Dolphins, there was so much to chew on with this game. You had division rivals who clearly don't like each other. They played a close game earlier in the year in weather that was almost the direct opposite of this. Both games, weather was a story. Uh, division titles on the line. Both of these teams hoping to get to the playoffs. The Bills with the win clinch it. The Dolphins had control in the second half. Momentum was going back and forth. The snow starts falling from the sky, and the Bills walk it off with a Tyler Bass field goal at the buzzer to get the win, and you see Tyler Bass sliding into the snow. Just an all-around fun game. So I'm going to do what I always do, Luca. When that game went final, when Tyler Bass makes that kick and you see him and Diggs sliding in the snow, what was going through your mind? Euphoria. Uh, a uh, heart-racing form of euphoria that um i it was just what what a roller coaster what a roller coaster of emotions and i was in our discord that we have mentioned in previous podcasts um there is an individual that will remain nameless uh that you know i he was just calling the game over already he is a fr uh, person we know that is a dolphins fan and he it was almost I didn't want him to neg his way into somehow turning this game back around when it seemed like it was over because I just kept telling him Lake effect is a fickle MFR and anything can happen while that stuff is out there. And I was not willing to call it game over, even as they were all wiping away that bottom, the field goal, you know, before it goes through the uprights. But as you said, once it finally did, and a clock hit zeros and it was over as everyone's sliding around. It was a knees weak euphoria. And it was like, thank God that's over for one <laughs> first and foremost, but thank you that it was in victory. And that one, we secured the playoff spot and two, in all reality, it would take a miracle to cost the division, you know, to take away the division from us. And to get through this divisional stretch that we've had where it started with the uh, Patriots, then the Jets, and now this game we're talking about here, the Dolphins, and finish 3-0 and after we didn't have a divisional win up until that stretch, for it to end this way in such a up-and-down way that almost, and we'll get into it further, but this is kind of where my head was at. That game 
in a shell for 60 minutes was almost like the entire season wrapped up in one. It had everything from start to finish of what this season has been like so far. And it's perfect that it ended in a W because it didn't cost us anything, just like a lot of other results have, even when we've had some downs during those games. And yeah, my head was racing and I had to sit down and probably relax for, I think I decompressed for 15 minutes before going to bed. It just like, I needed all the adrenaline, all the everything out of my body. So I could finally like relax and eventually lay my head down and get some quality sleep there because that was, woo, that was something else. Is this the best home regular season game? of our football watching lifetimes. I know that sounds like a really strong statement and it was just kind of coming through my head and I'm cycling through some of the games that really got me excited as a fan. And you start thinking about 31 to nothing in 2003, when they smashed the Patriots, you think about Fitzpatrick beating Brady in 2011. It's funny how many of these have to do with the Patriots. Obviously this would not include the Patriots playoff game last year, which I think right now takes the cake, at least for this generation of bills fans with everything that team put the bills through for the last two decades. But you start thinking about like the, the Sunday night game that got flexed there against the Steelers. There were no fans in the crowd. And you think about the, the bills teams when they clinched playoff spots, like they clinched it in 2017 down in Miami and then had to watch the Ravens and Bengals play. That wasn't in Buffalo. In 2019, they clinched it on the road in Pittsburgh. 2020, on the road in Denver. 2021, they clinched a playoff spot at home against Atlanta, a game that nobody really thought the Falcons had a chance. And that was a really ugly game, and they clinched the division um, the last week of the season against the Jets. But none of those games were classics. I think when you look at the criteria for best game, quality of opponent, rivalry, stakes, what was on the line, and then just the scene, everything going on with the snow. Luca, I'm cycling through in my brain right now, and I'm trying to think of a better game that I've watched two eyes on. I don't go all the way back to the Kelly years as a diehard fan watching every game. So, But in my football-watching lifetime, that really is about 1998, 1999 on with the Bills as far as like watching every single game, not just as like a kid that's rooting for the Bills, but like paying attention to it. You know, Maybe the one where Flutie runs it in against the Jaguars um, in 98 was kind of cool, but that doesn't even measure up to this. Where does it rank for you? Well, let me trying to think how to start this comment with so many years of heartbreaks and downers and everything like that. Um, it's not like there's a lot to select. <laughs> you did bring up a lot of great, you know, options, of course, but I feel like the issue is in our spectating lifetimes, Josh, because as you pointed out, um, you weren't a diehard watching every minute during that Kelly era. And I definitely wasn't because uh, I was way too young, if not even born yet, um, when that era was going on. So in our spectating lifetimes, I think it's, it's definitely up for debate, but I would say in my humble opinion, in my opinion alone, because I don't want to speak for anyone else, I would say this was probably the best regular season game 
to watch as a Bills fan. Yes. At home. We're specifying at, 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 at home. home. Yeah. At home. Yeah. yeah. At home. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah, to yeah. have a ticket to. That's kind of because, what I'm that's where I'm going with yeah. this. If you had a ticket to this game, would you trade that, that experience for any other regular season game? Yeah. And and I don't think I would. And mm-hmm. um yeah, it's I, I'm trying to like my head real quick is trying to wrap through a bunch. And I don't mm-hmm. think there's one. Like I think as it's it's everything about it from start to finish the entirety of the 60 minutes and honestly you bring up the snow too and just real quick because i don't think we're going to dive too much into this it was part of the game and it was the story of the game in the sense of it not happening and then when it started to happen and became something in the game and eventually this team could take over in itself because the strangeness of when it started and when it affected the game in a weird way with how the game script had been going up until that point, in my opinion, Josh, I felt like all of a sudden I'm like, ah, oh, is it coming on just a little too early where it's just not going to be enough because that Dolphins team over there has been doing everything right in the world and the game plan that would probably exploit it even more so. But for some odd reason, thank you, Mike McDaniel, for kind of pulling off the gas on the run game all of a sudden. And like, so the snow was everything the game was everything everything from start to finish from the opening kickoff to the zeros on the clock and the sliding around yeah i i do think this can be looked at as the best regular season home game that i can recall in my spectating fandom life um yeah i i really i've been sitting here rambling now for what three minutes and I have not been able to pull a better one for you, Josh. Yeah. This there's too many heartbreaking ones. Yeah. And it's just like, this was one of those ones as you brought up, like we clinched playoffs in Denver. We, uh, we won in Miami. And then of course the Bengals Ravens moment happens in 2017. Like every time it seems like it's been on the road, the Pittsburgh game, as you brought up as well. And now finally that one moment that this fan base wanted that bills mafia wanted to enjoy for what it meant happening at home in the fashion that it did too yeah this is this is up there if not the top for me it's definitely the number one it's it's i don't think there's anything that can take its place at this point in time and the circumstances have changed too like the bills clinched a playoff spot last night and i don't think there were a lot of bills fans that stayed awake crying themselves to sleep with joy at the fact that the bills made the playoffs because We've become accustomed to that now. Five out of the last six years, the Bills have made the playoffs. It doesn't seem like as big of a deal. And to a lot of Bills fans, it's more like, okay, we know they're going to make the playoffs. What happens when they get there? So in that sense, some of those other games we mentioned, the 2003 Patriots game, maybe you even want to throw that Green Bay Packers game in there where Mario Williams really shows up against Aaron Rodgers, um, the, the Fitz game against New England. Those seemed like a bigger deal because that was a regular season team that we just hoped could somehow end that playoff drought where now no individual regular season game really gets the fan base. I would say collectively as excited because everybody still kind of has one eye on what's going to happen when the calendar turns over to January. And I think that's kind of important to keep in mind, but I want to say one thing really quick to fans who do have one eye on the playoffs and no matter what happens, win or lose, it's more like, okay, well, what happened in this game that if it happens in the playoffs could cost us our season? Or if your if your first instinct after a game, win or lose, is to say, 
oh, like this wasn't good. That wasn't good. This wasn't good enough. They're, they're not going to be able to beat the good teams when this happens, X, Y, and Z. I know I'm guilty of it. Luca will admit he's guilty of it. I think we all need to try to really enjoy the journey and not be so distracted by the destination because last night's game, we're recording this on Sunday, last night's game was just a picture-perfect chef's kiss kick-ass night to be a Buffalo Bills fan. It was perfect. The Miami Dolphins in town. They were swallowed up by the snow at the end of the game. Uh, Fans are throwing snowballs at the players, which I don't condone, but considering what happened in week three, it's it's just kind of funny that that became a little bit of a storyline. And just a beautiful back-and-forth game between two of the better offenses in the entire league, and the Bills end up getting to the win. I just... I would beg all fans out there, take some time, enjoy it for what it was, enjoy the moment, enjoy seeing Diggs sliding on the field into Tyler Bass at the end of the game, enjoy seeing how excited Sean McDermott was when the camera panned to him at the end of the game, and just enjoy the fact that while we don't know what's going to happen in January, don't be distracted by what you don't know. Enjoy what you do know, because nights like Saturday don't happen very often. It doesn't matter if you're the Buffalo Bills, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, or if you're the Detroit Lions or Chicago Bears. Nights like that are precious, and that's why sports are fun. Just enjoy that night because we don't know when we'll have another fun night like that, and it doesn't always have to be about, well, I still didn't like X, Y, and Z. Saturday was just a really cool night, Luca. I I can't say and and the I cannot say it any better than you. I I stumbled over my words because I can't even say, can't saying it better than you in the proper way. It so well said. I think the, the fact that what you brought up is important. The dig sliding to celebrate with bass McDermott's joy after the game's over and the bills have won. This is a team and an organization that understands that this wasn't the goal or it's not about making the playoffs. It's about winning the division and eyes on the one seed. Like Bean McDermott, Diggs, Allen, everyone understands that, but they still have the presence of mind to really enjoy and soak in the um, the big moment that was last night's game. Like it, they had the presence of mind to really enjoy the moment and enjoy what had just taken place. And I feel like at times, Josh, you know, you're the individual that's the most active on our podcast, Twitter account. And I feel like a lot of others can uh, reciprocate this feeling, or at least this knowledge that you see a lot of fans out there that are like, that's not all that matters. You know, this isn't what we need to be enjoying or however you want to say it. And I don't think that people are being necessarily overly negative in that sense. I just feel like fans might even be enjoying it less than the people that actually played the game, the people that are really living this and trying to make this happen. And what you just brought up there is perfect. Like these guys know what the goal is. They know that the goal wasn't to beat Miami in week uh, 15 here and effectively clinch the division and clinch a playoff spot for sure. Like, yeah, there's bigger goals for this team, but enjoy it still. Like, what is the point of going through this if you can't enjoy these big moments and these big games? Like, where's the fun in it? We're we're not the New England Patriots, people. Like, let's <laughs> let's enjoy these Which, things <laughs> after today. Not a bad thing, because wow. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. We might get to that later. Um, 
yeah, it's just we're not them. We let's enjoy this because who knows how long this lasts. So yeah. enjoy it when it happens. Enjoy the moment, people. Eventually, this team will be looking for it, and as we shall, you know, with them. But for now, while this weekend wraps up here on week 15, let's enjoy the situation they found themselves in and what had just taken place Saturday night. Couldn't have said it better myself, Josh. Props to you to bringing that up early in this podcast. Well, let's talk about how it ended. It ended with a 25-yard Tyler Bass field goal, and that's where I want to start, Luca. I want to see what you thought about that end-of-game sequence because it really was a Bills team that struggled for most of the second half to get going. In fact, the second half, their first four drives ended in a punt, and the first drive that didn't end in a punt ended in a sack fumble. But the Bills finally gained their footing. Um, they were struggling a bit with Mitch Morris being injured, Greg Van Roten sliding over to center, David Questenberry going into right guard. Uh, but there was a play at the end of that drive, Luca, where Devin Singletary did what he also did in Baltimore, where he had a chance to score with 39 seconds left and instead decided to dive down. I will be 100% honest. I live wanted him to score because I felt like given the fact that Miami would have only had one timeout left after the kickoff, you're talking about 30 seconds. They have to go down and get a touchdown. Snow was falling. The ball could be slick. I didn't want to just assume that a field goal was a gimme, even though it was point blank range. What did you think about the decision to have Singletary not score there? I'm okay with it. Um, there was an individual in a friend's group chat that uh, shares the same feelings you do, Josh, and I can understand it. I can disagree while I understand it as well. I am okay. Yes. Look, weather elements. And as I just pointed out, lake effect is a fickle thing and anything can happen with it. Like it is not your regular snow people. If you're not from here, which I assume most people that are listening are, but if you're not from this area, this is not your average powder that, you know, hits the Northeast mountains or is, you know, snowing on Bama as Tua tried to play off. Lake effect is one of a kind, man, and it can cause some crazy things. It, it doesn't have to be a whole lot on the ground, even while you're driving for it to cause some chaos. So trying to kick a football that's got the sweet spot, the size of a dimple on a golf ball, <laughs> anything is possible. So I understand the worry in that and in that particular predicament, you are okay with him running it in. What I will say is it would have been nice for him to have enough uh, knowledge on where the first down marker is and just picking that yeah. up rather than that. Based on the timeout situation and clock management, I don't think that was too big of a deal anyways. And um, ultimately, I'm okay with that because it just keeps the game in your control. Like it keeps the game in front of you and it's not i'm trying to think was the ball we were down in the baltimore game were we not i, I think it wasn't a, or was it no it was a tie game as it well was same situation yeah, they same situation. they had a chance okay. to take a lead with the field goal they went for it on yeah. fourth down okay. and then they okay. it had the poyer pick okay same situation and same thing happened of course but what i will say is if they were down right if this was you know down a point even totally different take take your touch on i feel like putting it in front of you where even the missed field goal could lose you the game is a totally different situation than the unfortunate circumstance of you just have to play a little extra football in it. Um, the fact that it was a tie game, the fact that everything was in your control and keeping it in your control as much as possible is why I still side on the, I'm okay with what Singletary did and how they managed the end of that game. I am very, very much okay with it. 
I will again say one more time. I do understand anyone that did want like yourself included that wanted him to just run it in things like that. I, it would have been 40 seconds, maybe 39 seconds. I don't remember the exact time at that point, but you know what? It, the other counterpoint I will say is people want to say, well, the weather was tough. I mean, Tua did just hit a lollipop up to Cedric Wilson. And if essentially it took Mike McDaniel with some questionable play calling to eventually cause that drive to go and stall out. Like that's what it took. It wasn't Tua, to be quite honest. And um, it's, it's kind of that thing in the back of my head that almost validates me going, yeah, keep control of the game. You have the ball. You will control the fate of this game at this point in time very okay with it so yeah i'm i'm not with you on it but i can understand your side josh i understand other friends that said that same thing it's definitely one where the weather plays a big factor and makes that decision more of a coin flip than it would have compared to like the baltimore game where the environment it was a little wet and slick stuff but at that point i don't believe it was raining if memory serves me right and it was at least more of a controlled environment where you would hope your field goal kicker should be able to make it in that predicament whereas snow who knows, man, if Bass, if they weren't able to wipe the snow with their hands, you know, and everything like that, and Bass slipped and the field goal went wide, it would have been a big bummer. But hey, as I just pointed out earlier, it wouldn't be to lose it. It would just be, you know, leading to a little extra bonus football late in uh, the day there last night. I also, I really got a kick out of the fact that Sam Martin and Reed Ferguson were smart enough not to be among the ones wiping the snow because you need their hands to be dry to execute the snap and the hold. I, I was definitely paying attention to that. Like, wow, they are really on top of it. Oh, that is, yeah. Real quick, too. So the timeout previous, if you roll back the tape, it's not eventually where they end up taking the field goal, anyways. Mm -hmm. I noticed in the overhead camera, real quick, you know how you're not allowed to use towels to wipe or anything like that? I noticed a couple of the guys who bring out the water bottles may have been conveniently dropping their towels right yeah. on the area that all the players were huddling up. And I, I made a comment. I'm like, are they really doing that right now? <laughs> like that is ballsy because that is a penalty. Like I remember <sighs> that only due to other games where there were crazy weather situations. I'm like, if a ref sees that and actually recognizes what they're doing, like all you need is a player to step on it. And they're like, Oh, they're just wiping their cleats. But it's like, Oh my God, if a ref sees that the wrong way, poof, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. I noticed it in the timeout prior to then when they took the kneel down and another timeout, I want to say is how that sequence broke down. And then they were wiping the area where the kick would happen. But um, yeah, just, it was funny, funny little gamesmanship we were watching there. And then, yeah, you bring up a great point there. Yeah. All you needed then too, like a 15 yard penalty or having a fan throw a, a snowball in the field and get a 15 yard oh. penalty there. And then you just hate everything else. Should we talk about that real quick? I know it's kind of a story coming out of the game. Uh, I am not a fan uh, ever of anybody throwing anything onto the field. I think fans are there to cheer and athletes are there to play the game. And I'm a big proponent of athletes should feel safe in that environment. You know, you want to make noise. Great. They should never feel in danger. And so I, I'm hundred percent on board with that where I have to take issue with Mike McDaniel saying that it was a safety issue is the dolphins purposely built their stadium to make the visitor sideline 20 degrees hotter because of where the shade is. And We've seen multiple instances, not just the game against the Bills in week three, but you saw it in the Vikings game. You saw it in the Browns game in Florida where um, the CBS graphic will show the difference between the sideline temperatures and the Bills lost a lot of players that game just to heat exhaustion. So 
while I fully am on board with, hey, fans, be fans, don't be part of the game, I can't listen to the Dolphins complain about player safety due to game environment when they purposely built their stadium to put the visiting team at further risk than their own team. Yeah, I, I will add this to the whole snowballs and eventually it leading to a 15-yard uh, personal foul against the Bills. It's an interesting penalty because in theory, it makes a lot of sense and I don't necessarily disagree with it. The problem is, and the obvious thing that fans have pointed out, is that if there's my any Miami fan that has a brain, <laughs> to be honest, not yeah. a shot at Miami fans, but if there's any smart Miami fan out there, what stops them from throwing snowballs? And then what are they going to do? Pause the game to verify that it's a guy wearing a Bills jersey rather than a Dolphins uniform? Like, what are they going to do? So the snowball was under review. <laughs> yeah. What do you? And I will say this, by the way, having an inside view of the technology that they have for fan viewing. Fans, yeah. Just know this. They can find you in under 30 seconds and know exactly how many dimples are on your face. And if you have any marks anywhere that will find you anywhere. They can find you that quick. Just know it, people. Like you throw a bildo on the field, they'll get to you in under a minute. Don't you worry. Like they are able to track that stuff down. So I will say that. But it's a ridiculous thing in the sense of it's it's a theoretical penalty that makes sense. But in reality, can you really do that and control a game in that way? It's you're the home team. You need to be able to control your fans, but there are opposition fans that could easily capitalize on the moment and create the issue. And what are the officials to do at that point on? Like, I, I don't know. Like that's, that's the one where I'm like, yeah, they should, you know, uh, we have people in a discord and there are other friends. It's like, what stops any Miami fan there from throwing a couple ice balls and hitting, you know, targeting refs, especially to really emphasize how, you know, or agitate them and get the flag thrown. Like, it's a weird penalty, but then on top of it, yes, as you just pointed out, the fact of McDaniel and Miami uh, individuals to point it out as a player safety issue and all that stuff, you have a very weak foundation to have that kind of soapbox. Like you, yeah. you cannot get up on that thing and start preaching player safety and stuff when you have a literal structure built against the player safety of your opposition at home. Like that's... I'm not the kind of guy that complains about the sun, to be honest. That's their home. That's their field <laughs> advantage. They're allowed to have it. But I would love it if it was my team. Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. it's legal, people. It's nothing to complain about. But the fact that the team that does have that advantage then goes somewhere else where a advantage is being used <laughs> in Buffalo with fans throwing the snow that the workers seem... Uh, Look, I'm not going to blame workers for leaving snow on the seats. You can't exactly clean that amount of snow off the seats before a game, but now it's there and it's there for the fans and ugh, they're going to do what they're going to do, man. Like I don't condone it either. Josh, I'm with you with 1000%. You shouldn't be throwing stuff on the field, you know, whether it's beer cans and stuff like that in a normal setting or lake effect snowballs, which are look, they are basically ice. They will not explode on impact. We saw it on television. You could see it. If you're at the game, they would yeah. hit the ground and they would stay intact. That is an ice ball. If you want further proof, I don't know what to tell you. It's pretty clear as day, but um, look, it's, you shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, NFL in Miami asking to enforce a 15 yard penalty rule, or then Miami's sake, you know, saying that it's a problem for player safety. Like, <sighs> let me be polite. When I say get bent, like, yeah. 
move politely. Yeah. yeah, politely. Respectfully get bent. Respectfully get bent. Like move on. Deal with other issues going on. Like that is the last thing you need to concern yourself with. This, yeah, yeah, that's all we need to really talk about that though. Not to mention, like, we don't need to bring up his injury because he seems like a great guy and he had really no harm in this, but it was Miami that put Tua back in the game when everybody that was watching that game was like, whoa, he probably shouldn't go back in the game. We probably should do a little bit more testing on him. One more thing I want to say about that really quick before we move on is I feel like, and this is not excusing it, I don't feel like any random team that showed up to play the Bills yesterday would have been pelted by snowballs. I think this was a specific Miami Dolphins hatred thing stemming from what happened week three with the sun and then all the shots this week coming from Miami media and Miami fans about how, oh, we should move this game. And then, you know, there was a radio show that was in jest, but, you know, a pretty popular one um, that said, oh, uh, teams like the Bills should be required to have a dome because you shouldn't play games in, in snow. I think all of that boiled up to the point where it, it makes sense. Um, for example, I don't think had they not moved the Browns game to Detroit, I don't think you would have been seeing Donovan Peoples-Jones dodging snowballs. I don't think that would have happened. We've, <laughs> we've seen enough Bills games in Buffalo with snow on the ground where fans aren't throwing snowballs at the other team to where I think this was probably more isolated to the Dolphins. And one other, one other quick thing, the referee warning felt very much like when I tell my daughter, stop doing that right now or you're going to go to bed early. I don't really have a lot of intention of making her go to bed early. It's more of a scare tactic. If because there, there was a point in that game, it was right after the Quentin Morris touchdown, which ironically the Bills fans were happy about, where it was just showered with snowballs. And then um the situation where Sherfield drops the touchdown pass for the Dolphins, um, and then it leads to a field goal. There was just snowballs coming at him everywhere. There was a point in the game where it was just it was crazy. And it slowed down. You could still see them coming on the field. I think it was more of a scare tactic to try to slow it down. And then at that point, when it's not a thousand people doing it, maybe then it's like 20 people do it. Stadium security can much easier identify those people. And I think you're kind of counting on the Bills fans to police the Dolphins fans a little bit. Because if you're sitting in a section with 20 Bills fans right around you that have been drinking all day, again, not not condoning fan violence. It takes a certain kind of personality to feel comfortable launching a snowball on the field when everybody around you knows that you're doing it to try to screw over their team. And I, I feel like maybe that would scare people. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to you know, turn this into a snowball fight show, but that's where I'm at on that. Luca, um, the Dolphins had a lot of success running the ball yesterday. Raheem Mostert went 17 for 136. Ama, their backup, went six for 43 and added a touchdown. Combined, they averaged almost eight yards per carry. I have it at 7.78 yards per carry, which is ridiculous. And I got to a point in that game where I'm watching the Dolphins. The Dolphins ended up being on third downs yesterday, five for 14. I even tweeted out from the pod account, every time the Dolphins throw the ball on third down, your response should be thank you, even if they complete it. Because there were so many thirds and one and third and two where Mike McDaniel, for whatever reason, didn't give the ball to Moster and decide to throw something to the outs or to the flats. And it was incomplete or nearly pick six. And I know you're not the biggest Mike McDaniel fan, so I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to speak on this here. The Bills earned the victory yesterday, but McDaniel did not do his team any favors. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I even kind of hinted at it earlier. I think Mike McDaniel went into the game, I will say this, with a great game plan. Like it was working so run behind specifically that right side of the line and just let Mostert just be the beast that anyone that watches football over the past few years understands Mostert is definitely a great player. Like, I think he's just had health issues. If I remember back to his Niners years. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, when he was available, he was very, very, very good. And it was like, the right side of their line was just running at us at will, just dominating that matchup. And then Mostert, a physical runner that can run a 4-3, is just chewing up yards and making Milano, one of the best tackling linebackers in this league, look like a pylon. And if you don't know what pylon means, because it's kind of a hockey lingo thing, it basically means you're a fixed object that is useless in the field of play. Usually <laughs> this color. Yeah, right. Usually orange, you know, you, also sometimes a cone. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know what a pylon is in the NFL sense, but referring to someone as a pylon can be something completely different, as I just mm-hmm. described. Anyways, Mostert was making Milano and others look like pylons and cones out there. It just didn't matter who was near him. He was going to get every yard that he could with some ease. And then all of a sudden, whatever game plan McDaniel thought up in his head and his genius mind i say sarcastically as can be on third downs was the worst game plan i have ever seen you have to have game sense it almost seemed like a third down game plan that he drew up in his head and was going to stick to no matter what there needs to be a point in time and we talk about this with dorsey all the time too there needs to be a point in time where you just have such a good feel of the game understand concepts or whatever it is about your offense that's working well on the day and just lean on it until it breaks. Like you have to, you have to understand the five plays. We'll call it, you know, it could be multiple things. It could be multiple concepts, but you have to understand, but at some point in the game, what is working and what is really working? Like, I don't know, running most to the right side of your line and just lean on it every time. And you force the Bills to commit so much effort at keeping the edge on the run, you know, getting to the edge and things of that, which they were doing horribly at trying to uh, accomplish. Mm -hmm. And you need to lean on that. And I just thought McDaniel almost like had scripted third downs. Like it was predetermined what he would do every third and short. Like it was, I I don't know. That's the only thing I can even think of to explain it. It was beautiful. You say it perfectly. Every time Tua has the ball and dropping back with it to pass on a third down, the Bills should be thanking their lucky stars when that happened. Because as I just said numerous times, every time Tua handed that ball off to Mostert or Ahmed or whoever, I was not confident that they were going to hold them for four yards or less. No, they averaged 7.78, and that's where I want to go next. What do you think was the issue, Luca? We know Jordan Phillips was up, but for the most part, the guys who were going to be there were there, and Jordan Phillips is not known as like a dominant run stuffer by any means. Is it just as simple, in your opinion, as guys were not setting the edge? Is there more to it? What what do you think was the issue with the run defense? I think the run defense on the day is multiple things. I think the issue with the run defense is – I think the setting the edge is – uh, issue number one. I think that's priority number one for this team. It 
a team that's able to attack you at an area so obvious as the Dolphins, like I, I would love to know the breakdown and I'm sure it's already out there by now, but I'd love to know the breakdown of just a simple metric left of center, right of center run count. That's all I want to know. Cause I would, I'd almost bet hundreds of dollars that at least three quarters of their runs were to the right of the center. I, I, I cannot remember any big plays or any run plays in general that went to the left. It was always to the right. And when you become that predictable, there's a reason for it. It's because you are dominating that side so well. And majority of those big, big runs were even outside, you know, at the tackle or outside the tackle. And that enemy number one, man, is just, you cannot set the edge. You're getting caught flat footed, whatever it may be. I will say this Miami was doing such a good job with just Tyreek probably ran about 400 yards on the day without yes. catching the ball. Like mm -hmm. props to them, man. Like I bet you. And I think it's safe to say that that is something that made everyone just freeze for a split second at the snap of the ball. And when you can buy that millisecond on everyone to hesitate, that opens up a lot of things when all your, the big boys are on their front foot and they're trying to get and maul you down. Like that one millisecond makes a world of difference. And yeah, setting the edge and then pursuit and just understanding your run gaps and where you need to be. The discipline of run gaps and stuff was not there. I think McDermott even brought it up at after the first quarter interview. It was the only thing that wasn't coach speak out of his mouth during that entire interview was run gaps and not being uh, disciplined in their run gaps. And there's an individual that will probably come up later, even with both his run gap uh, failure and then hit every angle. This man took was just brutal. It, we brought up a player of Jaquan Johnson earlier uh, in a game against the jets where it seemed like his angles were bad. Well, this player in Demar Hamlin was having a, you know, a Jaquan Johnson style day where every angle he yeah. took every run gap, he thought he was assigned to, was just not it. That's not where you need to be. That was a horrible assignment. That was a horrible way to take it. Just, man, when you have a bad day, you can have a bad day, but that's a horrible day. And um, he's definitely going to be probably coming up later in this uh, episode. But I think it's multiple things. I think setting the edge, though, is enemy number one. I really think there's that's the only thing that really can you know be explained as this is why they were able to kill us in one specific area, especially on that right side where all the big, big plays happened. And then again, bringing up reek and stuff, they had a good game plan that just caused a little bit of hesitation that maybe just threw off everyone's understanding of where their run gaps were and everything of that nature. And just too much hesitation, too much, you know, not too much of not understanding just what's going on in front of them. And they were just getting sliced and diced and killed in the run game all game. And thank you, Mike McDaniel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mike McDaniel of when the game was in the balance and the snow is coming down to all of a sudden decide not to do all of this. That was working so dang well, all game. <laughs> you like, I brought like, I'll wrap it up here, Josh, real quick. Talk about not having game sense. If there's a hell of a time to take it out of your weak armed quarterback's hands and run it. It's one where you average over seven yards of carry and you know Mostert with even less sure footing is probably going to catch that defense on one run and take it all the way, and you got it. And oh, thank you, Mike McDaniel, for being exactly what I know you are. They are who we thought they were, or they are, or he is what I thought he was, and we didn't let him off the hook. Thank you very much. 
Uh, yeah, love it. <laughs> and if you're a Dolphins fan, aren't you just sick? You oh. had a chance to sweep the Bills. You had a chance to take this narrative of, oh, the Dolphins are coming up from Florida. There's no way they can play in these elements. Go toe-to-toe with the Bills and the elements and punch them right in the mouth with what would have ended up being over 200 yards rushing if they just stuck with it and win the game with the running game. The other thing that makes it tricky when Miami's running the ball like that is what you mentioned is if the Bills can't stop the run with their front six or front seven and they have to dedicate an eighth man to the box to get the run game stopped, that eighth man is not protecting against the deep ball of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, the fastest wide receiver pair in the NFL. And you saw it on the Jalen Waddle touchdown. There was some miscommunication between Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer and DeMar Hamlin, maybe even. And Jalen Waddle's wide open for a touchdown. So when if this Miami Dolphins team can get this run game humming like they had last night, it's not really realistic to think that they're going to average almost eight yards per carry, but they are going to be an absolute handful if they can start having success in the running game. Let's flip it around though. When the bills had the ball, because to me, Luca, this game, it started off great. The bills had, uh, I'm going to make sure I get this correct here. They had three drives that were all touchdowns up until the end of the first half, including that one where Josh Allen just decided to scare all of us oh. by holding on to the ball until time ran out before finding James cook. And oh, Sean McDermott had a funny line in his post game presser about, had he not completed a touchdown pass there, I would have slashed his tires. That was pretty funny. And the offense was humming, though. And then coming out of half with their first drive with a chance to double dip. Remember, they had an eight-point lead coming out of half and the ball. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm just expecting the Bills to go right down the field and score again. Everything before that looked easy. Four drives in a row that ended in a punt. They also had the fifth drive that was a sack fumble. And then what you saw was there was a point where I was like, all right, Dorsey, there's a lot working against you here. Mitch Morris is out of this game with a concussion. Ryan Bates didn't dress for this game. He was out. So your center and your backup center are out. Your backup center is also your starting right guard. And quite honestly, one of only your three real solid offensive linemen right now, and he's out. So your third string center who had to start as your backup right guard, this game is now going into play center. And then your backup tackle has to come in and play right guard because nobody else is left to play there. And Questenberry really struggled. The often this was not a good matchup for the offensive line to have to just figure it out as they go and plug in guys wherever they can because they're running out of bodies. The, we talked about all week the Miami Dolphins for not being a great defense. They have a lot of good players on their defensive line, particularly on the interior with Christian Wilkins. So I was willing to give Dorsey a little bit of slack for struggling. I will tell you, Luca, that I think yesterday was the most frustrated I became with Dorsey. And I hate to say this without having had a chance to look at the all 22, whether my eyes on it or just looking at some breakdowns other people make, because just from the TV and the replays, some of the route concepts they did where, you know, your offensive line is right now, just a patchwork group of, we need five guys out there. Do we have five guys? Great. Go out there and block. Good luck. And they're sending guys on 15 and 20 yard routes with no outlets for Josh Allen. Um, didn't make a lot of sense to me. They did get it moving though. When it seemed like Dorsey broke glass in case of emergency and said, okay, Josh Allen, go run the ball. And it worked. And the bills won the game. Where are you at with Dorsey at this point? I feel like this is a weekly conversation and he's not going anywhere. Um, I do think any offensive coordinator would have struggled with that offensive line last night, but 
I'm still waiting for that game where I feel like Dorsey is maximizing his team's potential versus more so just rolling with the punches. And when push comes to shove saying, okay, 17, go be superhero. I, I understand everything you're saying and I agree with it. I just want to start there. I, I definitely agree and hear everything you're saying. I just think in my opinion of Dorsey, it doesn't change after last night in a better or worse way. It's now just starting to become expected or just understood that it's not going to be smooth. It's not he everything I just said about Mike McDaniel not having that great game sense was there. And I even said it's it's something that I think Dorsey struggles with. And I think the point you just made about like the lineman situation and then maybe not adjusting for that, that is something that goes into game sense because it's something that occurred in the middle of the game. Mitch Morris, unfortunately, deals with that concussion issue. He's out. You shift things around and you have this makeshift mosh posh at offensive line now from what you had to start that game with, which wasn't anything great to begin. And he's still trying to run, I would imagine, whatever the game plan was going into it. And now you just haven't accounted for or adjusted for what has taken place during the game. And I just don't think Dorsey is seeing the field well enough. He is just kind of letting his guys do the things that he has planned for them and hoping it works. The good news for Dorsey is he has number 17. <laughs> like He has the guy that honestly, it's there's only one other player in this league that I would trust to do the same thing. And it's number 15 over there in Kansas City. Like if you don't have one of those two guys, <laughs> you're probably SOL in this situation. And even then, like, I don't think 15 and red and white is doing what 17 and red, white, and blue is doing or blue, white, and red, I guess, technically, if you want to go from most prominent color down, um, you're not doing what he's doing in the sense of like, you just brought up, it got to a point where Dorsey just broke that glass. and was like, Hey, JA 17, just, uh, just go do your thing. Just tuck it and run. It was, it was almost in like just a sense of, I don't even want you to attempt to change to a pass play. You are either going to hand this ball off to someone or tuck it and run yourself. This entire drive, it wasn't even a thought it looked like that that one drive we're talking about, that that ball was going to travel in the air to a receiver for, I'm pretty sure the entire time I'm trying to, I mean, the touchdown pass eventually happens, but up until that point, everything was on the ground, everything, including a massive Josh Allen run that basically hit your rushing over for Josh Allen. Let me add in one single swoop there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the good news for Dorsey is he has that that's in the bag. No one else has that. Imagine being a rookie coordinator with just something of his own safety where it's like, my game plan's not working. It's going to crap. Screw it. Hey, Josh, just do your thing. Just run it around. Be Superman. Be you. And it works because, well, Josh Allen is Josh Allen. And um, that's where I go. At least he has the presence of mind to do that. Because imagine if you had a coordinator, a rookie coordinator, or just a bad coordinator, I guess, in this, if you want to call it that, that just is so stubborn or so fixed on wanting to do something that he doesn't want to unleash that when the game is on the line, 
that would then be where I would probably find myself more like you where I'm frustrated because it's you're now hindering or limiting the ceiling of this offense because you're not willing to let the best asset on it do its thing. Luckily, he does have that presence of mind of just going, all right, like this has been fun. We've been toying with them. We've kind of been shitting the bed here. Let's just get back to something we know will work. And that is Josh Allen just tucking it and running or handing it off on the option or doing whatever, you know, whatever it is on the ground. That is what makes Josh Allen that elite top tier quarterback in this league. He has to- that at school, whatever. Sorry. And, What's that? And, no, no. I, and to your point, that drive, you're right. They were definitely committed not to throw it. It was a seven play, 75 yard touchdown drive. And starts off with a two yard Josh Allen run, 16 yard James Cook run, 44 yard Josh Allen run, um, five yard Josh Allen run. Then they mix in a pass that's a five yard one to incom- uh, that's incomplete to digs. That's on the goal line, by the way. No, that's from the four, five yard line and it's incomplete to digs. And then another Josh Allen run, and then they finally hit the touchdown to Knox before going for two with, you guessed it, a two-yard Josh Allen run. Uh, Yeah, Dorsey was basically like, all right. Uh, To me, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it. Uh, Not to say he's out of ideas, but this, we've been saying for years, as great as Josh Allen is at throwing the ball, the best play this team has is Josh Allen running the ball because you have extra blockers out there. When you turn around and hand the ball to Saquon Barkley or Aaron Jones or Austin Eckler, the quarterback isn't doing anything in that play. They're just watching it play out. When you snap the ball to your quarterback and he takes off running, all 10 guys on the field are blocking. So there's an extra blocker there. And the quarterback, in theory, if everybody does their job, just has to make one person miss. And it was cool to see. Um, yeah, oh, no, let me let me add to that point. Yeah. I think Steve Smith after the game said a perfect thing. When Josh Allen is tucking and running, it's 11 v 11. Yeah. Right. So now, as you just pointed out, there's 10 blockers. So now there's only one free guy out there, essentially on the defensive side of the ball that needs to stop Josh Allen. As you just brought up, when you hand it to a Devin Singletary, when an offense like we're, you know, going on tonight as we're recording the Giants, as you just brought up, Daniel Jones hands it off to Saquon Barkley. It is now 10 v 11 football. And on top of that, there are now two defenders that are for all of intensive purposes, free to take care of that ball carrier because the guy who's carrying the ball has a guy matched up with him. And then the 11th person on that defense who would be matched up quote unquote with the quarterback, the quarterback's obviously not going to run downfield and block. I would think maybe Daniel Jones is crazy enough. Josh Allen might be big enough to do it, but you're probably not going to put him at risk. So you now have two guys that are essentially free for that ball carrier. It's a big, big advantage as you brought up. And yeah, I'm, you know, to wrap up this point here, I don't think it's running out of ideas. I I think you kind of dropped that there a little bit there. And I'm not saying like, it's a bad thing to say because it feels that way probably to some people. And it, I can understand that. I just think it's something that you don't want to overuse. You don't want to kill. We've seen what that can do to someone in the past, similar to Josh Allen. You can see what that can do to a guy's career. Um, Of course, I'm talking about Cam Newton, like 
you if you just unleash it for an entire season, you could get a 15 and one record and you could just be the best offense out there and have an incredible playoff run that even eventually leads to Luca smashing his phone across the, you know, the living room because they are smashing the Cardinals in the NFC championship game, not to bring up memories that hurt, but it it's you can have that incredible season, but then look at what's happened to him shortly after. And it just that mm. adds up. You can't do that, you know, game in, game out. You just need to use it at the right times. It's that one, you know, wild card that you can bring out from time to time, and you just need to know when to do it. And at least Ken Dorsey seems to understand when to bring that out. It's something that I thought Dable also knew when to bring it out. It's not something you do all the time. You just need to know when you have to do it. And that's huge. And I think that's something, by the way, everyone wants to talk about what are we going to see in the playoffs? Will things look differently? Hopefully they change things. The one thing I probably am confident in saying is come playoff team, come January, I imagine there's going to be a, a much heavier dose of that style offense moving forward because that's just when you have to have it. You have 60 minutes to figure it out. The season is on the line now, and these are the games that you just cannot afford mistakes in. So use your best asset possible. I don't want to say as much as you can because it's not like I'm trying to sit here and see Josh Allen run the ball 20 times. But it, if Josh Allen has a – you know. We're looking ahead here real quick, but if Josh Allen has 10 carries every playoff game, that's a success to me because that tells me they understand what the most important piece on that offense is, and it's keeping the ball in Allen's hands. So I am a-okay in a playoff game having Allen get 10 carries a game. Like, yes, thank you so much. You understand what's going on, and I feel like it's safe to say that that's probably going to happen. It's just in the regular season, the majority games we're watching here, you just want to sprinkle it in there or pull it out it, you know, as uh, to use your line to wrap up this point, break glass in case of emergency. That's what it's there for. The game is effectively on the line. It's a big game and we need it. This is the time we need it. Okay. At 17, this is the offense. This is the playbook that you love. Go kill it. And uh, it worked. One of the stories leading up to the game was Cole Beasley and what kind of role would he have? He played on 11 of the 77 offensive snaps. He had one reception for nine yards uh, Luca, just very quickly on Cole Beasley because he didn't have a huge role in this game. Do you you do expect his role to expand as the season goes on here? Um, I, I know I do. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but are, are you with me that um, I I think that Cole Beasley is going to find himself eventually in a timeshare with Isaiah McKenzie that could even be closer to like 50 50 in that slot role depending on matchups, um, and maybe even see Cole Beasley in matchups where you're playing against defensives that are more zone heavy. Uh, out snap McKenzie. I think this may have been just more of get his feet under him. Um, he only been in house for five days. Uh, let's not ask too much out of him here. I, I expect an expanded role as we go forward. Do you agree? Yeah, I think it's just going to be similar to what we saw last season. What you know, when Cole Beasley was no longer that ex that explosive anymore, but as you just brought up, and it's it's spot on. Depending on the matchup, depending on what the opposition defense is trying to do, I think that might tip the scale on who you see more of. Depending, uh, you know between McKenzie and Beasley. If they're a more zone concept where you need a guy that just finds those underneath bubbles, finds those spaces there in a zone system, that's Beasley's, I mean, that's Beasley's wheelhouse, man. That's that's what he kills you on. But in a man matchup, you want a guy who's more athletic, more twitchy, we'll call it. And that's where McKenzie can kind of exploit it a little bit more. So, you know, they'll probably still split, 
it's just you might see it favored, you know, one or the other a little bit, depending on what they're seeing in front of them. So it we saw that last season. I felt like that's kind of where it happens. That's why McKenzie, for instance, was someone that stepped up in the in, in the New England game on top of injuries and COVID or whatever was going on. I can't remember anymore. Probably a combination of both. Um, McKenzie stepped up because McKenzie is a guy that can really, you know, do well against man because he has that quick twitchiness to him when there's one guy just trying to keep up with him. You know, you like your chances with an athlete like McKenzie, but you know, Cole Beasley, not so much. He can still do, you know, a good enough job, but then all of a sudden you go against zones where you need to have a really good sense of the field and understand where the bubbles are. That's Cole Beasley's wheelhouse. That's what he really knows. He understands that pre-snap just as, you know, almost just as well as the quarterback he's playing with. And he's able to just understand how to um, rerun his route, I guess we'll call it, or just understand where to find the space and what's going to work based on the play in front of him. You know, the play that his offense is running and then the defense in front of him and where ultimately is going to be his most successful area on the field. Like he is very, very good at that. And I think we should expect seeing more of that going down the, you know, going down the line. This is just something, look, he, he came in on Monday and we played on Saturday. Like he knows the offense somewhat. I'm sure there's some tweaks and differences to it. Of course, it's a different person running it, but he understands the core concept. He understands Josh Allen and they have a great chemistry, but I mean, he just got in the door here. Like I can't expect him to have a 30 snap count right out the gate that if he, if, if Cole Beasley had a 30 snap count or, you know, whatever crazy number we want to throw out there right out the gate, I would have been very impressed with him staying in football shape because that would have been a hell of a job you know, to come in that quick with that quick of a turnaround and then make things happen. I still think what he had, you know, I think you brought it up 11. Was it 11 snaps? Yeah. Um, 11 out of 77, 11 out of 77. That makes total sense to me for last night. And even when he was out there, credit to you. I think you, you said it perfectly right before we got on air, you you saw him catch the ball and it was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you for being back. It was just a sigh of relief when you saw his reliable hands get a hold of that ball. And I think the fans in the stands also reciprocated that, you know, the, oh, yeah. that would have been the loudest, loudest bees I've ever heard given for him to catch a ball. Like in that shows that this fan base understands how valuable he can be to 17 in this offense moving forward. Josh Allen throws for 304 yards and four touchdowns. On a day where Stefan Diggs nor Gabe Davis find the end zone and Josh Allen throws for 300 yards with neither Stefan Diggs or nor Gabe Davis breaking 61 yards. Diggs was at 60, so I had to change it to 61. So in that respect, it was good to see some other guys step up. Dawson Knox was the leader, six for 98 and a touchdown. Um, Luca had called this out before. Devin Singletary had three receptions for 28 yards. Easy money there on the receptions. McKenzie added 24 yards receiving. Quentin Morris, one catch, 14 yards and a touchdown. Very nice grab there. Naheem Hines finally got involved. 10-yard reception for a touchdown. And James Cook found the end zone for that five-yard pass that gave us all a nice little heart attack. So good mix of weapons there. I think we've been wanting to see this offense be a little bit more multiple as the season has gone on. And at least in a Saturday night's game against the Dolphins, they checked that box. We're going to put a bow on this game before we um, get to the a little bit of a bigger picture conversation I want to have with a segment that we call Game Balls and Game Checks. But before we get there, we asked our followers on Twitter to respond to a question of, if you could describe this game in five words, how would you do that? 
here's some of the best ones we had. Josh Brown 06. Good, but could be better. Come on, Josh. We just talked about that. Enjoy the moment, man. I know it could be better, but 11-3, five-game winning streak, just swept the division rivals. It could be better, but it's pretty darn good right now. <laughs> Justin Snyder at Boca Bills Backer says, a glass case of emotion. I love that. Love that. Danielle at Danielle MWNY70. It had the perfect blend. I like that. And then Carrie at C underscore roll 77 most valuable player, Josh Allen. I think Kerry sums it up pretty well. And I do think that with his output yesterday, um, he had a game of 77 yards rushing, 304 yards passing, four touchdowns passing. I think he put himself back in the MVP conversation. I don't think he's the front runner by any means, but um, with a game against the Chicago Bears on deck, who are the friendliest to opposing quarterbacks coming up, I think Josh Allen has a chance and maybe a shootout in Cincinnati to really stack some high statistical games here as the season closes out. And if the bills get the one seed and if he's comparable to Hertz and Mahomes statistically, I think he's very much in that conversation, but Luca, it is time for our favorite segment of the week. It is game balls and game checks. And the way this works is we're each going to give a game ball to the Buffalo bill, who was our most valuable player in the victory over the Miami dolphins. With the good, there's got to be some bad. The Game Check Award. We also refer to that as the Zach Moss Memorial Award. Which player's performance wants us to ask him to hand over his game check because he was so irrelevant to the outcome of the game? Luca, who gets your game ball for the performance against the Miami Dolphins? Um, I'll let you have the easy one. You know, I really thought you were going to take the first one on this one, but I'll take first, I guess. But I will, I assume you have someone in mind for yourself and I know how much you want to bring that one up. So my personal game ball, though, also does deserve to go to this individual. Dawson Knox, thank you. Thank you for being a reliable, for the most part, there was one drop in there, but thank you for being the reliable target for Josh Allen on a day where it seemed like that, you know, Diggs connection just wasn't in rhythm like it always seems to be. Even though Diggs didn't have his worst statistical game this one, I feel like this is the first game this season where I really felt it wasn't a defense taking Diggs away. It wasn't that the offensive game plan was just away from Diggs because of that as well. This was just a game where that Allen to Diggs connection never seemed to catch that rhythm and really get something going that we always trust and rely on. So you really needed someone to step up and make every target for the most part count, make every touch count. And Dawson Knox did that. I mean, Dawson Knox, to his credit, you just brought up his stats recently here, you know, six catches on eight targets, 98 yards and a touchdown. He did have a 45 yard reception. He was just capitalizing on every time he was able to get his hands on the ball. And we needed that on a night like last night. It was just needed. And it seemed like Dawson kind of has been hit or miss this year, streaky. And for the most part, I would honestly say that streakiness has been on the low end with maybe a flash here and there. This is a game where you needed someone to be that guy and Knox, luckily for us and good for him, was able to step up capitalize on those opportunities and make every touch count. And um, yeah, it seems like a good one for me to give my game ball to Dawson Knox. 
I think Dawson Knox can be a very high-end passing game weapon. I mean, he's not Travis Kelsey. I don't think anybody expects him to be that, but um, his usage last night was very encouraging. They gave him a big chunk of money, and if you look at his numbers from last year compared to this year, he's really on track to have the same amount of targets and receptions and yards. It really is a touchdown regression from last year, which is why a lot of the fantasy football community faded Dawson Knox because he led the tight ends in touchdowns last year. And that just is one of those statistics that doesn't tend to be repeatable. I like what happened last night. I'd like to see him be more of a downfield weapon. And maybe that could be where someone like a Cole Beasley, who now can grab some of those underneath routes, can open up a guy like Knox to get more downfield because I think he has that ability. We know how good he is in the open field. I like that pick for you. I'm going to really surprise you here, Luca. I think you think I'm going to go with Josh Allen, which obviously Josh Allen stole the show last night, and he is the obvious choice. And me going second, whoever goes second here, is going to call out, obviously, some runners up. But this season, Luca, you and I have both struggled to give the game ball to Josh Allen, and it's almost like the NBA Michael Jordan rule where you could give the NBA MVP to Michael Jordan every year and it would make sense. So it's almost like every game you could give it to Josh Allen because even if he doesn't play great, it's like, well, the Bills probably wouldn't have even won the game without Josh Allen. He was fantastic on Saturday against Miami, and we all know how good he was, and he was the best player on the field, so he should be the MVP, but that's not where I'm going. I'm going to be a little bit more outside the box here. I'm going to go with a player that nobody's probably thinking of, and I'm going to go with offensive lineman Greg Van Roten. This was a night where the Bills were missing their starting right guard in Ryan Bates, who has been sneaky, very solid for the Bills since about October on. And Greg Van Roten got the start at right guard. Midway through the game, Mitch Morse goes out. Greg Van Roten has to kick inside the center and basically run the offense with Josh Allen. We know how much he struggled week three against Miami. This interior front for the Dolphins is no joke. Uh, We talked about how good Christian Wilkins is. And just, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the All-22, so I'm just using the data points so far of PFF. But looking at PFF, Greg Van Roten was the third highest rated offensive lineman on the Bills last night. Mitch Morse was one while he was in there. Deion Dawkins was two. Greg Van Roten had solid grades all around. 66.8 overall, 65.7 in run block, 65.3 in pass block. Passing grades all, all around. For a backup offensive lineman, filling in at guard, getting kicked into center mid-game, having to deal with that interior defensive line, that was a tall, tall ask for Greg Van Roten. And I wanted to call it out because as much as Josh Allen deserved the shine, we all know how great he is. If Greg Van Roten had a stinker of a game, the Bills do not win, in my opinion. And he more than held his own. And I love the fact, I love stories like that where a player that maybe you're expecting to come in and be the weak link wasn't. There were some weak links on the offensive line last night, Uh, the guy right next to him on the left side. Uh, But for now, Greg Van Roten is going to get my game ball. Yeah, that is um, shocking for a word. Uh, (laughs) That um, I I think it's well-deserved, though. I think perspective is important, and the perspective Mm -hmm. that you just painted out for everyone there is very spot on. I think that does mean something. I mean... Early on when Morse was out, I will add this to that whole thing. It seemed like Allen notably was a lot more uncomfortable. And even mm-hmm. at that point in time, I didn't even know Morse was out. But all of a sudden, someone's like, hey, Morse went out with a apparent head injury before they even reported on television. And then I kind of like backtracked a little bit. And I was like, oh, you could tell. 
Like you could tell that him not mm-hmm. having Morse there at center and now Van Roten's there. It was probably triggering some stuff in Allen. But then it seemed like as the game went on, he still wasn't as exactly as comfortable as you'd hope him to be. But at the same time, I think that Van Roten was doing a good enough job, we'll call it, holding his own that Allen was still able to make some things happen and he was doing what he does best. So I think that's a really good one. Um, Leading right into it now here, uh, my Zach Moss Memorial Award. I think there are two obvious candidates and, you know, we'll see if that's the case um, when you go after I do. I think there's one that um, you are going to go for. So I'm going to bank on that again and we'll see how that goes. But my guy uh, for the Zach Moss Memorial Award is someone that I feel like even maybe even got a game ball earlier in this year. And this game seemed to have taken all the shine off of him and exposed him a lot. I may have hinted to talking about it. I love to hint. I feel like I've noticed in podcast past. I like to hint at who I'm going to give this award to specifically. But Damar Hamlin, man, this was a game that all the shine that may have been there for you in the past and maybe some good performances for you, it all came off. And this was, you were, so as you brought up, haven't seen the all 22 yet. Haven't seen a lot of things. There's one place specifically that I would just love a damn answer on. I want to know what's going on. We all saw communication going on. I don't know if Poyer just didn't hear it. That's why he didn't make any sort of gesture or if DeMar Hamlin truly was a single high safety playing the worst pre-snap position known to man for that style coverage. But his PFF grade, since we don't have an all 22 is kind of the only reference point as you brought up. And he was a 49.1 overall grade. But the one that really stands out, I just talked about a coverage thing, but the one that really stands out and is to me, very, very accurate 37.6 tackle grade on the game. And honestly, that feels a little high for me. (laughs) It just seemed like every time DeMar Hamlin was in the frame trying to make a play, he was in the wrong spot or taking the wrong angle or just doing what he could to not actually be the individual making the play. It was problematic time and time again. DeMar Hamlin was not even just a step behind the play every play. He was multiple steps. Anytime he was in frame, he was not where he needed to be. And it was just a very, very poor performance on his part. So yeah, DeMar Hamlin, man. Sorry, but not really. You get my Zach Moss Memorial uh, Award in this game check segment. It's it's hard to argue with that one. DeMar Hamlin really struggled. I'm going to feel bad about the one I give because I generally am the type of person to be like, I'm not going to get mad at a backup for playing like a backup. Like there was the game that uh, Dodson played and everybody was like, oh man, he's terrible. And it's like, he's a backup linebacker. You can't get mad at him for playing like a backup linebacker. And I'm going to give it to a backup here, but he was doing the thing that he's actually supposed to do well cam lewis and it's one play but it was a monster of a play and just an absolute boneheaded play you had enough of a sample size going into that second half without mitch morris to know it's going to be hard on the offense it's not just going to be josh allen going down and getting touchdowns every drive like it was to close out the first half and the bills had had forced the dolphins to punt at midfield cam lewis goes in for whatever reason, is trying to block the punt there. If that's a coaching decision, I'd also want to put that on them. Why are you trying to block the punt? Why are you even putting your player in position to do that? Just be happy you're getting the ball back at this point in time. And then 
just the most obvious of all roughing the kicker penalties you'll ever see. Even the most true blue, I bleed blue and red Bills fan who was mad the flag came out takes one look at that replay and they're like, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's roughing. And then, of course, right down the field, touchdown, Dolphins take the lead. And it was def- it was deflating. And honestly, Luca, it could have it could have cost the Bills the game. And in a lot of ways, save for some really bad coaching decisions by Mike McDaniel should have cost the Bills the game. And you can't have it. And you're a backup on this team. And I try not to be too hard on the backups, but in your moment on the field, you can't be the reason why the Bills lose, particularly on special teams. If Trey White and Kyrie Elam or Taron Johnson got injured and Cam Lewis has to go on the field and play cornerback and Tyreek Hill roasts him for a touchdown, you live with it. That's your backup cornerback covering Tyreek Hill. It is what it is. A punt block where you run into the punter, you just can't have it. And um, I don't know. I'm not sitting here saying Cam Lewis should be cut by any means. In fact, uh, as weird as it is to say, like as bad as DeMar Hamlin looks, Cam Lewis is kind of in that mix of guys that I'm, I'm interested to see. Hey, can, can you go back there and play safety? Because you looked pretty decent in the Vikings game. Where's Dean Marlowe? Um, I, I don't have any interest in seeing Jaquan Johnson back there again. Hey, Xavier Rhodes, do you want to cross train at safety maybe? Um, but whatever, I as far as that game yesterday, um, it would just be – I don't even know what the word is. It would be irresponsible to not mention how bad of a play that was by Cam Lewis. And I'm just happy for him that it didn't cost the Bills the game, the number one seed, potentially the division all on one really, really, really boneheaded play. And that is our Game Balls Game Check segment. Although I did want to call out really quickly. I didn't go through some of the other guys that deserved it. Kyrie Elam looked pretty strong last night. Um, I still want to go back and watch some of it. But in the limited snaps he was on the field, he got good jams. He was he was in position. He's physical. I just I want to see more of him. And I know he split snaps with Dane Jackson. But Kyrie Elam was a first-round pick. In my opinion, he has been ascending as a player. And I, I know he got benched the last couple of weeks. We don't know why. We're never going to find out why. But against that team, those receivers, I thought Kyrie Elam more than held his own. And I'm excited to see what happens with him going forward. Yeah, Kyrie, um, I will add this, though. There was one that he gets credit for a pass defended that anyone with eyes um, saw was pass interference. But oh, yeah, yeah, it, it didn't affect the drive in the end. So I will say that mm-hmm. like it's not like he got lucky because then the very next play, they hit a deep, you know, ball and it was just like, well, it didn't affect anything in the outcome of the game. So is what it is. But I think he still de- deserves props in a game where tackling seemed like an issue. He's one of the highest rated tacklers. And I did feel that way. He was a willing tacker, he, tackler. He was able to at least hold his own in that part of the game. So, yeah, I think that's good. I will say I didn't uh, give an honorable mention for my Zach Moss Memorial Award just because obviously you were running second and just on the freak. Uh, scenario where you somehow chose this individual it kind of goes to your point of talking about backups here and I feel like this is an individual that is a somewhat hot topic with Bills fans and how he gets utilized and stuff stuff of that nature I think what we saw in the eight snaps that this individual played it was enough for me to understand why he's not seen more of the field and understanding that there are probably other options, especially with Cole Beasley coming in here. Now that probably should be seen more of the field because Khalil Shakir, and I'll call out one place specifically on why I'm coming to this conclusion as an honorable mention for this. Look, he had eight snaps. Um, 
and he's a backup and I'm not going to give him that award for the same reasons that Josh just brought up with Cam Lewis. If he were to be playing in a corner role rather than the special teams role, he was, um, but one play, it was the opening play of the second drive that or second touchdown drive. I should say that it was a screen to digs. And there was some rumblings or criticisms out there that Khalil Shakir isn't getting a lot of game time because he has, he's a liability at blocking. But then all of a sudden he's out there a little bit more. And it seemed like early on, I would love to know the snap counts first half to second half. Cause I feel like there was, I saw him or noticed him more in the first half in general. So this play might've been something in the mind of coaches, but the criticism of him was his blocking. And then that screenplay happens and an individual standing height wise is shorter than him and probably similar weight class and stature as him. And maybe even Khalil Shakir has reach on him, blew him up so badly that he is single-handedly the reason that that dig screen went absolutely nowhere by the time digs had the ball. And it was a moment just to start the drive that then you had a, you know, uh, James cook, uh, false start and, uh, poor decision-making in the way to get a catch for one yard that it took a magical Josh Allen moment on third and 17, I believe it was to then keep the drive going. That rookies almost killed that drive early on in the game. When you need to kind of keep it going, you're up seven to six, I think at that point. And yeah, Khalil Shakir, man, like this is, that was a moment to me that really solidified the fact of, he probably shouldn't be on the field for anything other than obvious passing downs, we'll call it, or anything where just him as a weapon is an obvious reason and the only reason that he's out there. Like, I'm there are times where you need to tip your hand a little bit and, you know, late in the game when you need a catch or whatever. Like, look, everyone on the, you know, everyone in the stadium knows you're throwing this ball, so on and so forth. And maybe he's one of your better receivers in that situation. Cool. But in the game plan wise, in the game sense, first halves, I probably don't need to see Khalil Shakir anymore. I don't need to see anything designed for him. We brought in Cole Beasley, you know, maybe as we discussed, you know, you're going to see a lot more Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie matchup situations. This is now where Khalil Shakir doesn't need to be part of the game plan because if that's his blocking abilities, I mean, holy crud, that was, it was pathetic. I have no other word to describe for it than pathetic. It was, he's unwilling to do it. He got blown up by a guy that's for all intents and purposes, smaller than him. And he could have been better off just not even doing anything to be honest. It would, or it would have been the same thing. Like it, your body was just in the way of him making the tackle sooner. That's about it. Sorry. So just an honorable mention to wrap up this point that, you know, you bring an honorable mention for the good. I bring an honorable mention for the bad. And uh, I think we can uh, wrap it up and move on from there. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a disappointing rookie season for Khalil Shakir and he's a fifth round pick. So I feel like having any kind of expectations on him, Maybe unfair as it is, but it definitely is turning into much more of a red shirt year for him. I fully anticipate if and when Jake Kumaro or Jamison Crowder comes back that Khalil Shakir is going to go back to being a game day inactive. Just when you look at the numbers the Bills have at wide receivers, especially when you factor in the fact that we are getting dangerously close to the money games here. Uh, Josh Allen's going to want the receivers out there. He has gears of rapport and trust with. And right now that's just not Khalil Shakir. I think his story is going to really be starting to get told next training camp, maybe rookie mini camp preseason, and we'll see what we have there. And hopefully by next season, he can be a very important key contributor here. One thing I want to talk about quickly, Luca, we just got to look at the Miami Dolphins. And the last two weeks, we got to look at the Jets and the Patriots. 
And the Dolphins find themselves now in the mix of about three or four other teams in the AFC that are trending toward either being a wild card or just missing out on the wild card. And I think if you look at the AFC playoff picture and you set aside, this is from a Bills standpoint, you set aside the Chiefs and the Bengals. I think they're kind of in a tier by themselves right now. And let's just focus on the rest of the teams that are really in the mix. You have the Miami Dolphins. You have the New York Jets. I guess you still have the Patriots even after that disaster today. You have the Baltimore Ravens who lost on Saturday also, but you know, without Lamar Jackson, how much are you going to hold that against them? And then you have the LA chargers. I'm still guessing that only one team out of the AFC South is going to make it. They're going to win their division. So it wouldn't be a team that, you know, is going to be a wildcard team. We'll leave the AFC South out of it for now, but looking at those five teams, Luca jets, Patriots, dolphins, Ravens, chargers, where do the Dolphins stack up for you on your fear factor with one being the team like I'd really prefer not to see them in the playoffs and five being the bring it on. And I guess in this scenario, it's if the Bills, for whatever reason, don't get the one seed and they have to play on wildcard weekend, the fear factor of this team is coming to Orchard Park on wildcard weekend. Where's your fear factor at? I real quick here. Sorry, I'm just trying to process one more time. Yeah. Um, out of that group, I would probably put them, I'd probably put them one. Like I, I really would like that was a game and a performance that, um, they could have easily had, they easily could have had, we just spent, you know, an hour talking about this. And if it wasn't for a couple little things that I think the dolphins honestly made the mistakes of. They have that game. This is a whole different story. And there's a lot of nervy Bills fans out there when it comes to the Dolphins and the division, you know, on the brink of being an issue and so on and so forth. And we we can't even sit here and have this exact conversation right now because there are a lot bigger issues at hand. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, I think they're a one. I don't think I think the narrative of them not being able to play in the elements against us here is officially over after watching that game. It's officially over. Like maybe that was the perfect game plan and they just used everything they could in that moment and they won't be able to do it again, maybe. But that's something we don't know yet. And the only thing we have evidence-wise is what we just witnessed on Saturday night, last night. And if they can, if they can basically have the same game plan and do the same thing to us in the postseason... I am nervous. I that would make me very, very nervous. I don't. I give credit to Tua. I think Tua played a lot better um, in the cold, in the predicament that he did than I anticipated. And this offense was more effective than I thought they would be in this situation. And that definitely helps when you average over seven yards of carry. Um, obviously, for obvious reasons. But uh, overall. Yeah, in that grouping, if we're having this for future discussion, whether we have the one seed or we say we do fall to that two seed for whatever reason, and we have to face them in the wild card round, or if then say the Dolphins are the seven seed and they're playing the Chiefs, there is a weird part of me that might even be rooting for the Chiefs in that matchup because I don't know if I would rather the Chiefs have to then go through someone else if we're in the one seed. Let me put it this way. We're what in what is in your drink tonight, Luca? Hold on, hold on. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. And, and I heard this point somewhere else, and I want to bring this up because it brings into a conversation here. 
Dolphins scare me to a level that's not quite like the Chiefs and stuff, but I don't want to deal with those teams until you absolutely have to, right? So in a scenario that the Bills are the one seed and the Chiefs are the two seed and say the Bengals are the three seed, I want to sit there and have to watch what the Bengals had to watch or, you know, when it came to the Chiefs and the Bills last year and now in this scenario, the Chiefs and the Bengals banging each other up and then they have to come, you know, hopefully in this scenario to Orchard Park and you just deal with whatever you got. I don't know if I'd want to raid out the gate have to deal with the Dolphins because they upset the Chiefs. Now, it would be nice in the long run as, as long as you can get by the Dolphins. But let me tell you this, Josh. Would and you know, Let's roll it into another conversation here. What I just presented you, let's say the Bills do finish with the one seed and what we're discussing here. And now you have the Dolphins versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs then win if against that, and you have to play the five seed, who effectively is the Ravens, or would you rather play the Dolphins? Uh, now I there's will, your question. Okay. And I, I'm not meaning this to be a smart ass. I want whatever scenario has Patrick Mahomes out of the tournament. And <laughs> that's, that's I, I will tell you, Luca, um, I have zero, zero desire to have to go through the chiefs again. And I am like many bills fans. I want them to come to Buffalo, bring it on. Um, but I am all about the path of least resistance and if I can avoid having to see Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Travis Kelsey, I'm all for it. The Chiefs, to me, are still kind of like a one-of-one. One. I even put them above the Bengals. Um, they're, they're, this is compared to – this is from a Bills lens. We're not putting the Bills in this conversation. The Bills have beaten the Chiefs this year. This is who I would prefer not to have to see. The Chiefs are here. The Bengals are here. The Bengals. The Bengals are here. And then after that – I'm with you. The Dolphins are scary, but they're not scary enough to where I'm like, well, I'd rather not have to face the Dolphins in round two. So let's keep the Chiefs alive. That's where I'm at on the list of five teams I gave you. I'm going to put the Dolphins too. Um, there's a team that is interesting right now that if I didn't have the Bills bias that I obviously have, I'd be putting some money on this team because they just feel like to me the kind of team that can absolutely get hot enough to win the whole thing. It's the Chargers. And what I think oh. about the Dolphins is we saw the best version of the Dolphins last night. We took their best shot. We didn't have Mitch Morse and the offensive line was in shambles and we still found a way to win. The Chargers to me have stuck around long enough to get Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field together. They've stuck around presumably long enough to eventually get Derwin James and Joey Bosa back, and now there's rumblings coming out of L.A. that they have hope that Rashawn Slater can come back. And we know what this team can do when all of their offensive weapons are – look, they are a streaky team. They, they can go out one week and look absolutely great against Miami or against the Chiefs, and they come out the next week and lay an egg against the Raiders. I, I get it, but the streakiness is what makes me nervous because I don't need a team that's the seven seed – with that is that much talent with Derwin James and Joey Bosa coming back and having Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, one of them lining up against Spencer Brown every single down, and then Derwin James back there, and then you have the offense, you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. One of those guys is probably going to be lined up on Dane Jackson for a lot of snaps, and then you have Justin Herbert with no Von Miller, presumably with Rashawn Slater. He can extend plays too. I just don't want any piece of the Chargers. 
If the Bills are the one seed, I would love to see the Chargers be the seven seed because I think they could go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and potentially eliminate them. I understand that would put them in Buffalo in round two. It is what it is. But the Chargers, to me, are just a little bit above the Dolphins, but I'm right there with you. I have a lot of respect for them. And then ranking them after that, I'd put the Patriots last. I would just love to see the Patriots come here again. I don't think they match up well with the Bills at all. They're a mess on offense. Their defense doesn't scare me. The Jets are interesting. The Jets' defense is tough. They they lost a really tough game today, but they were playing without their starting quarterback, who, you know, their starting quarterback is Zach Wilson today, but he's not their starting quarterback anymore. Uh, Mike White hopefully will come back for them. They're playing without their best defensive player in Quinton Williams. I think that Jets' defense is at least good enough to show up in Buffalo and put a fear into us. But again, like, are you going to get nervous about going against Mike White in the playoffs? At some point, you got to play somebody somewhat decent. And then I'd put the Ravens third. They've had an up and down year, but Lamar Jackson is just that dude who can make it happen. I I wouldn't have a whole lot of desire to see him showing up into Orchard Park. So my list would be Chargers one, Dolphins two, Ravens three, little bit of a gap, Jets four, huge gap, Patriots five. Um, I'm sorry I laughed when you mentioned the Chargers, uh, first (laughs) and foremost, but where my head goes is on paper, everything you said is spot on. On paper, I I don't disagree with anything you're saying. On paper, they're a very scary team for anyone. I keep making sure I emphasize on paper for a very good reason. The Chargers will and forever will be the Chargers. And until they finally have that run, which I, I, I you need to prove it to me, I will never respect you enough more so than a team that the bills have seen twice. They lost a game in which they definitely were the better team week three against Miami, but then won a game that we just talked about now that I think it's like it. Josh Allen's Josh Allen. And is the reason we won that game. But as we have even hinted at, or even outright said the dolphins could, and maybe even should have won that game. So that's a team that has already shown me in recent memory against the team we're talking about now in a situation of who he'd rather face that has shown me they can take care of business against our team. I will rank them above the Chargers every single time. And it's not that I hate the Chargers. I would love to even root for the Chargers. I think you brought it up to where it's like, if it wasn't for my obvious bias and fandom, like they would be a team that would, you know, I'd root for and put money on as well. But I just, I do, it's kind of similar to the dolphins almost why I don't trust them, but then even more so because there's also the history of the chargers. And yeah. like for, for one thing, their kicker hasn't screwed up yet, Josh. So in the misguided fortune and ways that people like to think at a casino, it's due. And you don't believe more- in Dicker, the kicker. <laughs> I don't believe in chargers kicker. You okay. will never have me put money on a chargers kicker in my life. There's a rule. I, you know, you always have those stupid fantasy rules, Josh. Mm-hmm. One of those stupid fantasy rules I have never pick up a chargers kicker. I don't care if they're the number one ranked offense with Philip rivers and Ladanian Tomlinson do not pick up that kicker period. And then on top of it, I am not a Brandon Staley guy. Oh, I'm not either. Holy, that is a guy who knows the, how to coach himself out of a game. Like I am so impressed with how he can coach himself out of games. Sometimes it's incredible. 
they just played a game to, uh, today as we're recording this against the Titans that honestly their defense finally stepped up and yet it still took a brilliant throw by Herbert to Mike Williams up the right sideline to get them in game winning field goal position to win that game because a one legged Ryan Tannehill led mm -hmm. a game tying drive at a score of 14 to 14. So let me just say one more time. Yeah. On paper, the Chargers make sense and I can understand. But no, my list goes Dolphins. Mm -hmm. I honestly would put a gap there. Small gap, but gap. Chargers, then Ravens right there. I honestly might even put Ravens above them if Lamar's healthy. I'm the, the only reason I'm not doing it at this point in time is because technically Tyler Huntley is playing and we haven't seen Lamar back from his injury yet. So I'll just put an asterisk there. But Chargers, Ravens, then a gap, small gap again, Jets, and then I'm with you 100%. I would welcome the Patriots in the playoffs any okay. time of day right now. So large gap Patriots, but I don't think the Patriots make it first. No. And foremost. Like that's not going to happen. So one last thing to defend the chargers point is they are a roller coaster, but it only takes one game. The NFL playoffs is a one game deal. And to your point, like they did not play great today, but that play to Mike Williams is what scares me. They have that club in their bag where can't you just see a situation in a playoff game where Justin Herbert throws a ball up and Mike Williams dunks on Dane Jackson? And, you know, I said the thing that about I would put money on the Chargers, that wouldn't take them winning four games to win the Super Bowl. And I hear everything you're saying. They're not consistent enough probably to feel good about that. It's more about the odds you could get on a team like that. But yeah. it only takes one game of a team being hot. And if we catch the hot Chargers who feel like they have nothing to lose, they scare me a little more. To your point, though, I will say this. You would much rather lose to the Chargers than to the Dolphins. Oh. If you lose to the Chargers, you go into the offseason, you're upset about it. You lost a home game in the playoffs, and you're you're mad about a bunch of things, and it's like, what do we have to do to fix this roster? A X, Y, Z, you know the dance. If you lose to the Dolphins in Buffalo in the playoffs, you not only have to address what kept you from hitting your ultimate goal but you have to live with the fact that the dolphins ended your season when it was supposed to be your super bowl season and that is not a world i want to live in so the fear of failure to the dolphins is right up there with the chiefs for me like i can i get nauseous thinking about seeing the chiefs end our season again i live in the midwest i could be a little biased i'm tired of the chiefs but the Dolphins are just right there. I would almost, I, I honestly, I'd rather the Patriots end our season than the Dolphins or the or the Chiefs at this point. That's, I know it sounds crazy, probably because I can't visualize it happening. Uh, but yeah, we, we've kicked this around enough. I have one more crazy topic for you, Luca, before we get out of here. Um, and, and I know you like crazy, so we'll see how you like this one. You're familiar with the term mini buy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So for those that don't know, um, there's a term in the NFL called a mini buy. So the bye week obviously is you have a, you have a no game that week, so your team essentially gets two weeks in between the game. The mini buy is when your team plays a Thursday night football game, so then they get the four days off, and then they get the full week on top of that. So it's ten days in between games. They call that a mini buy as opposed to the normal seven days in between games. It gives you a little bit more rest. And um, the Bills recently just had one when they beat New England and then came back off the mini buy and played the Jets. I'm saying this because 
This coming week, the Bills play the Bears on Saturday. The majority of the games are on Saturday this week because Saturday is Christmas Eve. The NFL doesn't want to have a full slate of games on Sunday on Christmas, just a few special games on Christmas. The next week, the Bills play on Monday. If a mini buy is 10 days in between games, that game is between the Bears and the and the um, Bengals is nine days. So I'm going to go ahead and call that a mini-ish buy. And my question to you, Luca, is knowing that the Bills have a mini-ish buy coming up. It's not a full mini buy, but it's a mini-ish buy. You mentioned the fact that Matt Milano really struggled yesterday against the Dolphins. I am one that believes that him not practicing all week long the last two weeks is probably because he's dealing with something fairly significant and he's playing through it. Knowing the fact that the Bears, outside of their quarterback, who is elect, who is electric, are a tire fire. And the Bills should be able to handle this team pretty comfortably, understanding that the NFL is random and we just saw the Texans take the Chiefs to overtime, yada, yada, yada. I'm of the opinion that anybody who's close should sit this week. Jordan Phillips, could you fight through it and play this week? No, 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 buddy. We have the Bengals next week for all the marbles when it comes to playoff seating, and we can get you nine extra days rest. Matt Milano, you've been gutting through, dude. We really appreciate it. We needed those division wins over the Jets and the Dolphins. This is the Bears. AJ Klein can handle the Bears. In fact, when you look at what Justin Fields does, AJ Klein is a good run stopper. We're probably going to be, you know, Matt Milano's better than AJ Klein, but I don't want to get too crazy with this. We'll be fine with AJ Klein out there. Boogie Basham is day to day today. I don't, I don't, you know, Boogie Basham is a little bit inconsequential to the overall scope of the team. Um, you know, I wouldn't be in a huge rush. Mitch Morris is in concussion protocol. So there are certain steps that he has to make it through just to get to the point where the Bills have a say in whether or not he plays. Um, I would say it's doubtful that he makes it there because just for the most part, players have that gone into concussion protocol have missed at least one game. But I'd say if he gets to that point, if Ryan Bates is healthy, I think you feel fine about just saying, hey, Mitch Morris, don't risk it. We have Ryan Bates back. He'll play center. Greg Van Roten was fine at guard. We're playing the Bears. I don't want this to at all sound like I'm saying don't take the Bears seriously or take your foot off the gas. What I'm saying is understand the opponent we have coming up. Understand how much benefit the Bills could get from building in an extra week and a half rest for these guys by not practicing them this week and then loading up for that mega game against the Bengals on the next Monday night. Is this a wild and crazy idea that'll never happen, or are you with me? Um, how do I, how do I start, Josh? How do I start this? Um, my feelings on the Bears. <laughs> Let me start here. My feelings on the Bears is well publicized for this season, and I think you said it. They've even exceeded my expectations in the sense of that quarterback isn't too half bad. Um, outside of him, though, calling them a flaming dumpster of a team is a compliment and I think gives them credit because they are at least something that can provide warmth to someone if it's a cold time that you find it in December because they are as about as useless as you can be in this league right now as a football team um I'm with you <laughs> like there is a time to understand when even your depth and hey you mentioned AJ Klein by the way mini sneaky little AJ Klein revenge game he was there for oh, yeah. games. He got cut. He never even saw the field, I don't believe. 
let him take out his anger on a team like Chicago that didn't even value him when they had such a dumpster fire of a roster, as I will call it, I guess, because even though I just said that's a polite way to call him. It, what how else am i supposed to describe them you know like the money ball line where there's a heaping pile of you know what and then there's us like that's where the that's where the bears are right now um sneaky revenge game there all those things yeah get these guys if they're not let me put it this way i don't have to i don't need you to be 100 i don't think anyone at this point in the season is 100 percent. no and i'm not saying josh allen has an elbow sit him like we, we have to win this game right. you're like if anyone is not in good playing shape, we'll call it, then yeah, take a seat. This is a week where, you know, we should be able to handle business and take care of whatever we need to do with other individuals on this roster that are in playing shape. So Jordan Phillips, if you're not really up to it where you think you can get through the game, you know, knock free and you're not struggling or limping through it or whatever is going on, like cool. But if not, like, hey, don't worry about it. As you just said, big game with a lot on the line is nine days afterwards in Cincinnati. Let's let's make sure, you know, you at least get all the rest possible to be ready for that. Milano, if what you're saying is the case and all of a sudden he's not able to get a lot of practice in this week. Sure. Basically, what I'm saying is unless you get at least it one full practice in, you have to have at least one full practice. I don't care. If you are not able to get that in, like not, I'm not talking a full walkthrough practice. I'm talking a full, real, normal practice. I probably lean on the same side as you rest up. We should have other guys here that can take care of business. Like, look, Justin Fields is probably going to break loose on this defense, no matter who's out there, because there's nothing better for him to do. He's going to be throwing to practice squad guys of the bears because even their dependable guys or their normal starters aren't available anymore. Darnell Mooney's gone. Uh, my personal fan love, uh, Nikhil Harry is most likely, I know he's not anything special people. I get it, but he is, you know, ASU forks up. I can't hate the guy. He was special in college, but he probably won't be available. So on and so forth. So <laughs> geez. Um, so Look, it's the Bills with whatever is available in good playing shape, whatever that may be, should be able to take care of business. Bottom line, Josh Allen needs to play. I, you know, you bring up that point. Yes, Josh Allen needs to play. But I think we're at a point where Josh Allen is okay, barring anything crazy that happens. So as long as 17 is dressed up and, you know, is, is fine and we have a good number of other guys out there, this could even be a game where Josh Allen again finds himself with a ball cap on the sideline because they were able to take care of business early on, even with a reduced squad on defense or whatever else is going on. Like this can be that game people. I think the, the one seed being so close and basically within tasting distance. Now it makes people think that every game is so important. This is the national football league. You know, you cannot take any team lightly. Think about the Jags game. You know, all that kind of cliche crap you want to say, look, this is a team that was built so that they can easily manage a game like this. If they somehow put up a stinker against the bears, as Josh has famously said here, he will cancel Christmas. And I, myself, <laughs> I will lose. I will be set to lose a lot of money and my emotional Christmas will absolutely be over itself. 
This is a game that I hope AJ Klein can be motivated enough to keep the Bears under three and a half wins on the season for good old Luca and Buffalo because I don't need Milano playing if he's not 100% or 90% or, you know, game playing shape. Take a break, get those nine days in. And then that Cincinnati game is kind of another game now where it can be that, for all intensive purposes, leading us into the final step of the season, getting us to our goal. And that is a major hurdle that we need to get across where we do need Milano. We would love to have Phillips back. If Bates comes back, that would be incredible. All those different things. The Cincinnati game is the focus. Maybe have that in your peripheral vision. We'll call it. Cause you know, you never want to take your eyes off your opponent. One to know every week, but have it in your peripherals, have it in the back of your head and understanding the larger goal, because you should be able to take care of business in Chicago at Soldier Field. And please, for the love of God, Bills, do not be the team that gets the Bears over three and a half wins on the season. Do not be that team to me. I swear, I don't know how I could live after that moment in time. That would just be so crushing to me. I want to reiterate, I'm not telling the Bills to take this game lightly. I'm telling the Bills to be smart with their own personnel. There are much bigger games ahead. And... Quite honestly, if this Bills roster can't defeat these Chicago Bears with A.J. Klein and everybody else who's normally out there around him and just not Matt Milano, then it wasn't as good of a team as we thought they were to begin with. And I don't think Justin Fields will break one loose against the Bills. I don't. I remember how Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott bottled up Lamar Jackson early in his career several times from running the ball. And I think they will absolutely do everything in their power. And I'm assuming other teams have done this too. Uh, I think they will do everything in their power to force Justin Fields to throw the ball. And Justin Fields can throw the ball. The issue here is he doesn't have a lot of people to throw the ball to. So that'll be interesting. We'll get into the Bears later this week. Uh, but for now, we're going to just enjoy this Miami Dolphins game. Um, Luca, the Bills are 11-3. and three, And they are heading toward this battle with the Bears on Christmas Eve. We will be back on Friday night to talk all about this Chicago Bears game on Built in Buffalo Live. We would love for you to join us in chat. Let us know how you're feeling. You can interact with us. Um, we'll be back on Bill's chat to be determined. We're assuming it's going to upload on Monday, but it is Christmas weekend. Luke and I still have to talk about the logistics of that. Maybe an abbreviated show. We'll get into that, but a little tricky weekend, but we should be back for some sort of a Bills postgame show bright and early Monday morning for you to listen to. Until then, for Luca, I am Josh, and we will see you next time.